Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Around Christmas time, I just decided I finally needed to start getting into, sh- into shape. And, um, you know, living healthy is a challenge sometimes, especially in this world of fast food and junk food and potato chips and, and uh, all that. But uh, I finally decided I needed to do something to get into shape. So, I mean, I just went out and just joined a gym. Just like, I'm going, bye. Okay, bye, Rinkin. I'm going to go join the gym. And so I did. And I've been doing pretty good, been going and, and working out a couple times a week. And one of the things that keeps me motivated on this journey, because you know it's a journey. It just doesn't happen all at once. It's a pro- you, you have to build the stuff into your life, you know. Um, and uh, one of the things that keeps me motivated is, you know, I'll read articles about how to work out and and watch videos on proper form and technique and how much weight you should lift and how many reps for the different kinds of exercises and things. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I was reading one of these articles and it was about pushing through plateaus. And, uh, you know, it's when people are training and, and they hit a place where they're just not progressing in their training anymore. And, and how do you push through that? You know, I thought for a minute I was approaching a plateau. And after I read the article, I realized I was not anywhere close to a plateau. So, you know, but uh, I was reading this article and pushing through plateaus and uh, it, it offered six things to consider if you feel like you're, you've hit a rut in your training. And as I'm reading this, so I immediately saw the parallel between, you know, physical training and training your spirit. And so I got to thinking about that and I got more excited reading the article, thinking about growing spiritually and pushing, pushing through plateaus spiritually. And so I want to just talk to you, to, to, to you today about what happens when you feel like you've hit a rut spiritually and you want to push through that plateau and continue to growing and be growing in the things of God. Amen. Sound good? Okay. So I just want to say first, the article that I read, it just assumes that what you want to do is you want to increase in strength. It assumes that you want to get stronger, get bigger. That's what it is. In other words, it's not written for people who say, you know what, I've been working out and I feel pretty good about myself. I want to stay right here. It's assuming you want to keep getting stronger. Also, just to let you know, the article's not written for people who say, you know what, I'd really like to run a marathon one day. Because that's usually, you know, the opposite of bulking up and building strength. So it's a very specific article. So I'm, I'm not going to give you health advice here or anything or workout, but I, what I want you to hear is the spiritual application. Uh, I'm going to make some applications that will be true for all of us who want to grow stronger spiritually. Amen? So, um, You know, one of the things that most serious Christians do agree on, and especially the kind of Christians we've got around here, we believe that we're supposed to be growing spiritually. We're supposed to be getting stronger. We're supposed to be growing in the things of God. We also believe that that's what the church is supposed to be doing. You know, speaking of the church as a whole, as the body of Christ on the earth, we're supposed to be advancing so there's a, there's a church-wide application to this, and then there's also an individual application. The church is supposed to be advancing and growing, and as individuals, we're supposed to be advancing and growing in the things of the Spirit. So, you know, I, I started looking at this, uh, the Great Commission, you know? I love the Great Commission, and, but it's, it's verses that you get so familiar with. And I started reading this, and for some reason, God let me see it in a new light as I'm reading it. And I just started getting excited reading about the commission of the church to be growing and going into all the world. You know, Jesus says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Mark 16, 15, right? 
Go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to all creation. And so I'm looking at this and I'm getting stirred up. I'm getting stirred up because uh, I realize that the church, and you know this, I mean, I'm not saying anything that you don't know, but, but the church is supposed to be advancing and pushing forward actually into territory that was formerly held by Satan and setting people free. But it actually says, go into all the world. If you look over in uh, Matthew's version, it says, make disciples of all nations. We're supposed to be winning not just individuals for God, but we're supposed to be winning nations for God. Nations. I mean, how do you win a nation for God? Uh, my question is this. This is what got me stirred up. I'm, I'm looking at this. It says, go and win nations for me. And I'm thinking, are we thinking too small? Because a lot of times we think, oh, I'm going to go and we're going to one-on-one just talk to people and try to get a few people from this group and from this group. And God is looking at nations and saying, I want nations to come into me. I want nations to come into the kingdom. You know, Jesus is saying, he's like, I want, you know, back in his time, the Roman Empire. He's like, I want the Romans to know me. I want them to come into the kingdom. You know, today he would say, I want the Chinese to be part of me. Go get the Chinese people, all of them. How many? All, how many? All of them. Go get them. I won. Go get them. The Indians, you know, who are practicing Buddhism and all the Hinduism and stuff. He's like, I want them to come into my kingdom. Be the same for the Persian people, the Arabs, the people who are practicing, you know, Mohammedism and all that stuff. He won these people. He laid down his life. He wants the whole nation of them to come into the kingdom of God. The Russians, he's like, look, my house is not complete. My house is not full till the Russian people, the Slavic people, the Europeans, the Latinos, the Asians and the Africans until all these people groups come into me. That's what's on his mind. So he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And listen to this, behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Until the end of the age. See, this expansion of the church will continue in the world until the very end of this age. It's not supposed to quit. It's not supposed to stop. The kingdom of God is supposed to be increasing right up until the very end. Until this present age that we're living in is completely finished and the second coming and all that, the church is supposed to be increasing. And then when the advancing is complete, then the end will come, you know, What's it say? Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a sign, as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Not before, right? So we have this end time, you know, okay, if you're like me and you've grown up in church, or, you know, in Christianity, in Christian culture, in America, you pick up certain um, uh, perspectives on things, you know? You get what I'm saying? So one of the things, there's this end time narrative that's just been kind of handed to us. And I'm just going to tell you, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are making books and movies and and having seminars and things by telling us how bad the end times are going to be and what's going to happen. And I, you know, I grew up in the era in America where the church believed certain things about what the end time was going to be. But my question is, do we have that narrative exactly right? Think about it. Think about it. Because, see, there's a there was a group of people during Jesus's time called the Pharisees, and they had this scenario of what it's going to look like when their Messiah comes. They had it all figured out. When the Messiah comes and, you know, he's going to liberate us from Rome, he's going to do this and this and this, and then Jesus comes, the Messiah, and they couldn't recognize him. All right? 
So I'm just saying, as we're approaching these end times, we need to be spiritually sensitive. We need to be in the word and we need to be looking kind of like what Rick was talking about. We need to be knowing what the Bible says. We need to know what God is doing, because if we give in into some of these uh, uh, end time scenarios that have been handed to us, we might end up just missing what God is doing. It's a serious thing. Look at this. Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. That's what he said. So why do we have all these end time uh, movies and books and stuff where the church is running around hiding? I'm just, just a question. I know the Bible says clearly there will be difficult times in the end days, you know, and there's 666 and the one world government and all that. And I don't know how that's supposed to all fit in to everything. But I do know this, that the church is supposed to be advancing right up until the time Jesus comes. Okay, I'm not saying those things aren't going to happen. I'm not saying that those, it's not going to get tough. I'm just saying our attitude needs to be one of progress, right? Look, Jesus said in Psalm 2, 8, or not Jesus, uh, David said in Psalm 8, ask of me. He's speaking prophetically. This is a messianic psalm. He's looking forward. He's talking in the spirit. He's speaking about what the Messiah would do. And, and uh, it says, ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the end of the earth your possession. So when Jesus is standing there, the Messiah, and says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, this is what he has in mind. The nations are his inheritance, are his heritage. The ends of the earth are his possession. He won them. He defeated Satan. He set them free. Now he says, go get them. Go get them. And so we have a, a part to play. So, you know, we've got these movies and books and, and, and all these things out there. I've, I've heard somebody say this about the, um, uh, and I'm not picking on anything. I've not been a big fan of the Left Behind series I've, just because I've not read it. But uh, the only thing left behind in the Left Behind series was the Bible, is <laughs> what they said. Because it's just, they, there's a lot of stuff we've made up to fill in the gaps, you know. And so what we need to do is we need to be careful that what the narrative we have accepted is accurate, okay? And if it's not, we need to question it and challenge it because here's the thing, and this is my this is my final point I want to say about this. If your end time beliefs, your the teaching that we hold to as for an end time scenario causes us to withdraw and pull back and stop the advance of the gospel, then we've got the wrong teaching because the church is supposed to be progressing and advancing until the very end. This kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So do you want to hear, I'm going to give you right now, right now, in a nutshell, the best end times teaching out there. Are you ready? This is the best end times teaching. You ready? Write this down. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Because that's the one thing that the Bible says will be happening right up until the very end. Amen. Come on. That's good. Come on. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> saved you a lot of money on books and videos and stuff. Okay. Luke 24, 47. Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. It says, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city till you're clothed with power from on high. So what's he saying? I'm sending you out to do a big thing, to do something global. Okay, think globally here. Don't think small. Think bigger than you're thinking. But don't worry. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you the same spirit that was working mightily through me. He's going to work through you. And you're going to do the same works that I'm going to do. And you're going to, but where I, I did it locally, I was sent to the house of Israel. You're taking it globally. Amen.
Come on, that's good. I'm, I'm going to amen myself. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Acts 1 and 8 says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, the emphasis on all this is increasing the borders of the kingdom, right? It's bringing the government of God into this present world right now. Right now, in this messed up world, God wants his government to be known. He wants his wise order to be known. He wants his kingdom, which is what a a government is, right? Kingdom is a government. And it says, you know, our favorite Christmas verse, you know, and the government shall rest upon his shoulders. He's here to bring his order into the world. And the church is his vehicle right now to bring this into the ends of the earth. So we've we've got a big job to do, amen? We better get at it. But here, the emphasis is on globalization, globalization of the church. From the very beginning, the church was supposed to be this global movement, right? And so, you know, we're looking and all these end times things talks about the one world government in the end and the Antichrist and all that. Well, the Antichrist is, it means substitute. He's a counterfeit Christ, right? So he's saying he's going to have this one world government, but God has already had in his mind, in his heart, and in his plan, in his directives, a government that he would rule the world with. Right? We need to be a little more aggressive in our thinking sometimes. I don't plan on being hiding somewhere. I don't know what it's going to be. I mean, I know there's difficult times. I'm not saying anything in those in the Revelation and 666 and all that's not going to happen. I'm just saying my attitude about it needs to be changed. I need to continue to advance the gospel in spite of what's going on in the world. Right? Amen. Okay, thank you very much. The church is supposed to be increasing and making gains every day. And so, you know, what's true for the church is true for us personally as well. As followers of Jesus, you know, we're not expected to have everything perfect, thank God, before we're used by him, right? I mean, Peter was not perfect when he started to be used by God. Paul was not perfect. I mean, read the book of Acts. They fought with each other. I mean, God put together this apostolic team and said, you guys are my missionaries. You're going to go out and preach the gospel. They got in such a disagreement, but the next time they were trying to go out, they couldn't even work together. It's just true. And then, but God kept on working right through Paul. And I'm going to guess that he kept on working through uh, Barnabas too. I mean, we, we don't have the story of Barnabas, but uh, they all, and Mark, he, they got mad over Mark, if you remember that, because uh, Mark left them halfway through the last trip. And he's like, yeah, this Mark. And then you get, a, you get into the end of Paul's life, the book of Second Timothy, where we were the last couple of weeks. And he's like, please bring Mark to me. He's, he's so useful to me. He, I need him. He's one of the ones that Paul is going to encourage to continue in the gospel. So, you know, they weren't perfect, and we don't have to be perfect. But uh, we are supposed to still be making progress. We're supposed to be making gains. We're supposed to be growing in God every day. Amen? Would you agree with that? 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, We don't lose heart, though the outer outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. So I understand, you know, we'll we'll come to a place maybe in life where physically we're not able to do all of the things that we've been able to do at one time in our life. But spiritually, that should not be the case. We should never come to a place spiritually where we say, I can't lift what I used to lift. I can't push as hard as I used to push. No, the inner man should be being renewed day by day so that when you're, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90, you're stronger in your inward man than you were when you were in your prime, you know, when you're 20 years old, right? You see what I'm saying? We should be renewed day by day. We should be making this progress spiritually. 
And this kind of growth that we're looking for, unfortunately, it's not a product of time. <laughs> it's just not. It just doesn't happen because time ticks away. It goes by, you know. It does happen within a certain span of time. It's just like getting into shape, you know. This having a gym membership for five years does not get you in shape. You've got to go apply those things, right? You've got to work with the resistance. You've got to use it, right? And it's going to take a span of time to do it, but it doesn't happen automatically just in the span of time. And so Paul told Timothy, and and we've read this because we've been in 2 Timothy for a couple of weeks. He says, I'm reminding you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on my of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of, of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. So, I mean, who is responsible in this passage to stir up the gift? It's Timothy, right? He has got to be self-motivated in this instance. He's saying, I'm encouraging you to be a kind of person who can stir this gift up in yourself, by yourself, because you're going to need it. And what happens if Timothy doesn't stir it up? I mean, he's been given the spirit of power, of love, and of sound mind. Yet if he doesn't stir it up within him, he can actually go through life and live exactly like somebody who does not have the spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. What a tragedy. He's saying, you need to stir yourself up. So he need to be self-motivated to grow in the things of God. But I've got another verse for you. It's uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, and he's writing his letter, and he says, this is now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved, In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through the apostles. So he's writing a letter because he's saying, I want to stir you up. So Paul's telling Timothy, you need to be self-motivated. And Peter's telling us, look, I want to be your coach, man. I want to help you get stirred up. (laughs) You need a coach in your life. You need a mentor. You need somebody who inspires you in your life to help you stay stirred up. Yeah, you need to be self-motivated, but find somebody who's doing what you want to do spiritually. They might not look like you at all in the rest of their lives, but spiritually, are they believing God? Are they are they going after the things of God? And let them challenge you, amen? So find somebody who'll be your coach. And then in Hebrews, look at Hebrews 10, um, 23 and 25. He says, let us hold fast to our confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works how to stir up one another what do you need you need a training partner <laughs> you need somebody who's just going to be there with you and say man you can do it and encourage you to go on to press harder to do more you know when i hear the testimonies this morning of how god's working in your lives i'm encouraged to press on and believe god for more things right? We need to stir one. You know what? In the Hebrews there, it says, it's, how's it say in the ESV? Stir up one another. Do you know what it says in the Greek? Provoke. Provoke. I mean, usually that's in a negative context, but uh, provoke. I mean, I want to, you might feel a little discomfort here as I provoke you to good works, but that's okay. I need that in my life. You do too, don't you? So stir up one another. We need a training partner. We need people in your life who will push you, inspire you, and provoke you. And that's what we're supposed to be doing for one another. Um, So I just want to tell you, in the few minutes I have left here, I want to tell you these six things that you can do to push through plateaus, okay? So I'm reading this, and it says, uh, you know, if you feel stuck in your training, here's what you can do. Now, the way they define a plateau in training was, get this, three weeks 
three weeks of not being able to increase your repetitions or your weights. Three weeks. And they say, you could be at a plateau. I'm thinking, my God, I'm looking at my life and I'm thinking, how many times have I gone three weeks spiritually without feeling like I've grown? Or even three months. Or even three years. Come on, it shouldn't be like that, should it? We should we should not be plateaued spiritually. We should be renewed day by day by day. We should be growing. We should be making progress spiritually. See, our progress really should be measurable to some degree or another, quantifiable. You know, Rin Kim and I can look back, you know, you don't always see it instantly, but you know, we can look back over the course of our marriage that, that we've been together. We're working on 10 years this year, but we can look back 10 years ago and see how we've grown. Thank God, you know, we've made some progress in some areas. You might not be able to tell week to week, but when you look back over the long term, you should be able to see, oh man, I'm not the same. I can believe God for more. I'm more mature. Those things that used to trigger me don't trigger me anymore. I've learned how to turn the care of that over to Jesus. I've learned how to trust him in this situation. We should be making that kind of progress. That kind of progress should never end, which means, I mean, bad news, you're always going to be facing resistance because that's the only way to grow. I mean, just think about it. You're going to go to a gym and what are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to be working with these weights and uh, you need resistance. And when you get used to that, you need more resistance and more resistance and more resistance. Otherwise you plateau. You, you, you ain't, you're not growing. You're not pushing anymore. So I thought it was pretty neat when I read that and I got to thinking about that, you know, the three weeks thing and applying it to my life spiritually. I'm speaking to myself here and I got to thinking about that and I realized just how real that makes it to me. Because, you know, we say, oh, we're supposed to be growing in the Lord and being conformed into the image of Christ, which is true. But a a lot of times we say big things like that and they become platitudes that end up being somewhere out here, just an idea that I can't really execute. And what we want to do is we want to rescue that. We want to take it off the shelf of a platitude and make it real in my life so that I have real measurable progress in my life. So if you don't feel like you're making progress, the progress that you could be making spiritually, I want to talk to you about this stuff. Let me find out where I'm at because I got totally off of this. Uh, you know, a lot of this has to do with your decision too. Think about that. You know, you decide to get up and go to the gym or you decide to stay in bed, right? You decide to wake up and pray and read your Bible or you decide to stay in bed or watch a TV show or whatever. You don't. You have a decision to make with these things. You know, you decide to make your physical body push against resistance. And spiritually, you have the option of sometimes trying to escape situations that would make you stronger if you would face them. So just a quick disclaimer, like I said in the beginning, the person who wrote this article had one goal in mind, to get stronger, okay? So I'm not giving you health advice, but just consider the spiritual implications of this. Um, These exercises probably, and most likely, as I read them, I realized that's not exactly what I'm trying to do as far as going to the gym, but they still spoke to me spiritually. So the number one, and I love this one, are you training hard enough? I like that because it was just direct and to the point. Are you actually trading hard enough? When you go there and you're going through the motions, are you actually overloading your muscles? Are you actually pushing yourself? Because it's not enough just to become a part of gym culture, you know what I'm saying? 
It's not enough to get the clothes. It's not enough to go there, have your little water bottle and your protein shakes and hang out with a bunch of people who are working out. You actually have to apply yourself to the discipline. It's not enough just to go to church and be part of church culture. It's not enough to be spiritual and be spiritual culture, learn the, learn the words and the phrases and just do that. No, we've got to take this. We, we've, this stuff is real. And two people can go to the gym. One person can work out hard, apply themselves, uh, meet with resistance, and actually grow stronger. And the other person can be there going through the same motions, but they don't push themselves, and they won't have the same results. Two people can go to church, and one person can be growing spiritually so much, and the other person does not. Two people can get on their knees and pray. One can be going through the motions. One could just be putting in the time, you know, Applying their heart, one could be just putting in the time. It makes a difference, doesn't it? So uh, it's okay to put yourself in situations, like I said, that stretch your faith. You know, if you if everything's going great in your own life, man, put yourself in somebody else's life and pray for them. Believe God for them. Let your faith be used for their problem. We'll give you some more resistance, man. It's okay to take responsibility for other people. It's how we grow. It's how we grow and mature. Anybody who has kids knows that. When the responsibility of a family comes to you, man, you grow. You have to. You don't have a choice, man. You either sink or swim, one or the other. But, but uh, you're growing. Why? Because of the responsibility and the pressure that's put on you. And it's amazing how quickly you'll grow and adapt to the situation you're thrown into. Same thing spiritually. We want to grow spiritually. Amen? Um, yeah, um, Paul said, you know, in Philippians, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. He's talking about pressing on to take a hold of uh, the prize that God has for him. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining. Look at that, straining. That's his life was a strain for what lies ahead. The man continually pushed himself. When he got a place where it was easy, he would go to another town where they wanted to kill him all over again, you know? And he pushed and he pushed and he pushed and the man grew spiritually, that God could use him to give us two-thirds of the New Testament, and we're still talking about him and his life all these years later. So I thought this was kind of interesting. The way you grow muscles, obviously, is what they call progressive overload. Um, you have to have more resistance than what you're comfortable with. In other words, you're really trying to lift weights that are too heavy for you, right? Because if you just lift weights that you can already lift, you don't increase right? And you stay the same. So you have to add weight and force yourself. And you know, if you go to a gym and you do about 10 repetitions of something, those first eight are just kind of wearing you down. It's those last two, man, that are hard, that actually break down your muscle and cause strength, muscle growth and strength. Isn't that interesting? So how easy is it to go through the motions just to pop out, you know, 10 reps and never get to that place where it's an effort, Right, we need to be making effort. But here's what I got to thinking. So here's the thing: as you get as you get going that doing that, you'll get to a place where those eight reps, ten reps become easy. Now you need to add more what? More weight, so that it becomes hard again. And you need to keep on progressively adding more resistance, more weight, so that you continue to grow. Right? Well, you know what? When you first start lifting weights, and you put on, you know, you're just trying to, you know pick up 90 pounds or something, it's a lot easier, right? But when you get up to, uh, you know, say somebody's lifting, you know, four or 500 pounds, it's a lot more serious. 
in this situation because you have to have everything just right. Your form has got to be right. Everything's got to be right. Or you could be in a place where you could do some very serious injury. So what I'm trying to say is it's easy to believe God with your finances when you don't have any money. (laughs) Because why? If you're wrong, you're not going to lose anything. But you accumulate a little bit of money and now you've got to trust God. You see what I'm saying? It's easy to trust God with your health when you're young and healthy and you don't have any problems. But as you get older and and things might start popping up, how are you going to trust God with your money? Do you see what I'm saying? It's easy to speak for God when you have nothing to lose, right? But when you start developing a reputation for yourself and a name for yourself and, and things connected with that, now when I speak for God, I've got more to lose. You see what I'm saying? So uh, the, the thing is, as we're growing spiritually, is your spiritual growing, your growth, your strength, spiritual strength, is it growing at a pace that you can continue to trust God with your money and your health and your, your, your reputation as you grow and you accumulate more of this in your life? Does that make sense? Like I said, it's easy when you don't have any money. But what, ha- what happens, you know, if you're taking bigger risks with your money? Can you trust God with the bigger amount? Can you trust God with your health when it's a serious situation? Think about it. The only way we can do that is if through the progress of time, as we're growing in these areas, we are also growing spiritually so that we have the strength to trust God and to believe and to do the right thing. So that's why we need to see that progress. So number two, number one, are you really working out hard enough? Okay, are you pushing yourself? Number two, I like this one. It says, are you sleeping enough? (laughs) I like that. But unfortunately in the scriptures, sleeping is usually pretty negative. To be spiritually asleep is a bad thing. So I'm going to change the word a little bit. I'm going to ask you this. Are you resting? Are you resting? In the Bible, uh, resting is what? Leaving your work and getting involved in what God is doing. That's what spiritual rest is. You can read that in Hebrews 4, 4 verse 10. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so no one may fall short by the same example of disobedience. See, resting in God has everything to do with a trust relationship with God. I'm not trying to attain through my own my own physical strength, but I am coming into God. I'm cooperating with what he's doing. I've left my works behind and I find rest. So I'm working from a place of rest, if that makes any sense, right? It makes about as much sense as labor to enter the rest, right? You know, but it is a little counterintuitive. You think I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to work out. I'm not going to give myself a break. I'm going to work out. I'm going to work out with the machines and all this stuff. I'm going to go, 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 go. But you know, the science says it's the time when you're actually asleep and you're body's resting that your muscle is actually growing and rebuilding right the effort in the gym breaks it down while you are sleeping that muscle is repaired and grows and that's what increases if you don't allow yourself to have that place of rest you're you will never increase and so in your spiritual journey as you're trying to become stronger spiritually speaking you've got to do it from a place of rest amen 
That's good. I don't want to take more time. I want to fly through these. Okay. Are you eating enough? I like that. Are you eating enough? That one's really good for me. Okay. No, but come on, you know, you know that a man does not live by bread alone, right? Jesus said that, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God, you know, God's word is sustenance and nourishment to our spirits. The exact same way physical food is, is sustenance and nourishment to our bodies. What if we spend all of our time eating junk food and listening to the wrong voices instead of the voice of God, you know? You can't live on potato chips either. You can't live on junk food. So you've got to make sure you're getting the right teaching. The pure word of God is the best, right? That's why uh, Peter says, like, newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that that you may grow unto salvation. The pure spiritual milk. Your, your King James Bible and your New American says the sincere milk of the word or the pure milk of the word. It refers to your spiritual teaching. And you'll grow if you give yourself to it. And if I remember right, babies eat about every three hours. So it's good to live in this word, man. So are you eating enough? Number four, are you deloading? Okay, I didn't, I was wondering if weightlifters did this and this article answered the question for me because years ago I used to run, believe it or not. But when we would do a training schedule for running, we'd do three weeks where we would be advancing and progressing. And we would take a fourth week and we would deload. We would, we'd call it cutback, a cutback week and just give your body a self, your body a little bit of time to recover. And so... I was reading this and I found out that weight trainers, weightlifters do the same thing. They'll go for a series of weeks or a couple of months and then they have a week of deloading where they do uh, lighter weights and give themselves a chance to recover. And I got to thinking of this spiritually. We need to deload some things spiritually as well because there are some things that we are carrying that we're just not supposed to be carrying. Okay. Uh, Psalm fifty-five, twelve says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Cast your burden on the Lord. So real close to what uh, First Peter or Peter said in First Peter five, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. See, anxieties are not something that you were designed to carry, at all. Anxieties, I mean, they've proven medically, anxiety can mess up your health pretty bad, man. A lot of heart problems and things comes from anxieties. And what's the Bible solution to anxieties? Cast them on the Lord. Cast them off. Cast your burdens on the Lord. Get rid of them. Don't carry it. You need to deload. Do you understand what I'm saying? You need to get those out of your life so that you can continue to grow spiritually. I thought Romans 13, 12 was kind of interesting. It says, the night is far gone. The day is, day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. See, we're coming into the day as Christians. You know, Jesus came, he brought the day. People are coming into the day. When we come into the daylight, leaving what the old works behind, we leave the old things behind. And we don't live the same way we lived before. Some of those things also need to be cast off. Amen. And finally, I want to read this one, Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely, and let us run with endurance. Look at that, run with endurance, press on. It's amazing how much, uh, uh, how many uh, uh, illustrations are in the Bible about exercise. But uh, run with endurance the race that is set before us. And I, I'm reading this. It says, lay aside every weight and sin. Sins are so easy to identify. Because sins, you know, anything that's, you know, not of faith is sin. But it's the weights, man. Sometimes it's the weights. What are we carrying that's not necessarily a sin, but it's not helping us get to our goal either? 
Some of those things we need to lay aside, you know, cares of the world, entanglements of this life, distractions, anything that would take my eyes off the goal can be a weight, right? So we need to get rid of, uh, we need to deload some things in our lives. Amen. Second uh, Timothy 2, 4 and 5 uh, says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. See, we need to sometimes disentangle ourselves from the things of the world. It can become a distraction because his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Look at the next one, the next verse there. It says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So that leads me to the next one. It says this, are you using good form? Are you using good form because you're not going to win if you don't compete by the rules? The word there... um, the four rules is actually the Greek word for law. Think about that, law. We have a, a bunch of teaching out there that is so against, you know, they call everything law, like law is bad. I'm just here to tell you very clearly, lawlessness is not a characteristic of the kingdom. Lawlessness is a characteristic of the Antichrist, who is actually called the man of lawlessness, all right? Right? We're not lawless. He writes his law in our hearts. He causes us to walk in his statue. It just doesn't come from an external code, but it comes from God doing a work in our hearts. Let me be clear. But uh, you don't win if you don't compete by the rules. And it's important to, do, to, to train yourself according to the rules and have good form and, and keep, the, keep the, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, the form, keep the proper form. Why? Because how you train is how you will perform. You know, like I said, it might not matter if you're just, you know, putting 225 pound plates on there and trying to lift 90 pounds, but you go try to lift, you know, 300 pounds and you don't have the proper form, you can injure yourself for the rest of your life, right? So good for how you train now, even while things are lighter and less, it matters. My daughter's taking piano lessons and and, uh, her teacher is really good because I watched her teacher and she's like, you know, she's picking on her about dynamics and just little subtle things that I'm missing when I hear her play. I'm like, Abigail, that's beautiful, baby. You're doing so good. You know, (laughs) play that again. That's wonderful. But she's picking on her about these little things. Why? You know, if you're playing wheels on the bus, it might not matter if you use the right fingering. But if you're going to try to play Chopin or something like that, you better have the right fingering or you're not going to be able to do it, right? So how you train is how you're going to live. So so, um, uh, are you using the proper form? All right, and finally, number six. Are you ready? Number six, too much cardio. I like that one. Too much cardio. It gives you just a little glimpse about how weightlifters think about cardio people. I don't Too much cardio. But here's the thing. I mean, I like cardio. I'm not telling you don't do cardio. But in this article, the goal was one thing. What? To get stronger. Right? And for them, in their mind, cardio was something that you're spending your time and your energy on that is not contributing to your goal of getting stronger. Right? And it's not trying to help you lose weight. This article wasn't trying to do anything like that. It was trying to make you stronger. So too much cardio doesn't contribute directly to the bottom line. So what are we spending time on that, you know, doesn't contribute to the goal? Think about that. Isaiah 55:22. Why do you spend your on your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. (laughs) I like that verse too. This is good to read verses like this before we go eat, right? (laughs) But what are we spending our time, resources, and energy on that aren't helping us to grow spiritually? Or as a church, what what kind of activities are we doing that's not actually growing the kingdom? These are fair questions to ask. 
We need to be praying about them. And we need to be uh, willing to make the just proper changes to become stronger spiritually. Amen? So I'm going to close with this verse. First Timothy 4 and 8. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So if you feel like you're not making the progress spiritually that you should be, number one, first, don't, don't be hard on yourself. Okay, any progress is progress. It is. One of the things I've been reading over and over in articles when I joined this gym was they talk about beginners have a, a whole time period where they make gains so fast. They call it beginner gains. And, you know, people come and they meet God for the first time and it just looks like they're making gains so fast. And then they, that, 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 that initial period comes to an end where those weightlifters have to work, man. And you know, they might only be able to increase a few pounds in several months versus when you're starting out, man, you're adding, you know, you're stacking on 10, 20 pounds every week. But there's still gains. So don't beat yourself up. We're still making gains. Amen. The goal is to make gains, to progress. We're not going backwards and we're not going to plateau. We're going to continue to grow spiritually. But do consider these other things too. Are you putting in your putting yourself on purpose in situations that will stretch you spiritually? Sometimes they come to us uninvited, don't they? Sometimes our circumstances force us to have to believe God. But if things are going okay, it's all right to go and get involved, you know, praying for people. Uh, walking through life with people. Put yourself in challenges where you can use your faith to help them grow and you'll become stronger. Are you coming into God's rest and working in his program or are you doing your own thing? That's a good one, isn't it? It's important to be in the rest of God. Are you feeding consistently on the word every three hours? (laughs) You know, you don't just feed, but you meditate on it. You let it go around in your mind. You know when your attention is on something else, right? There are things that get my attention, and I can be reading the Word, and my mind still keeps thinking about those things, right? A lot of times receiving God from God, it, it's not you know trying to go and move great mountains and spend 16 hours in prayer and fasting and all that. It's the attitude of your heart that's the most important thing. Has I, if I tune my heart in to be attentive to what he's doing, am I interested in the things of God? That makes all the difference right there. I'm not saying you shouldn't do those other things. I'm saying this is the thing that you got to do first, right? Amen. So are you doing too much cardio? <laughs> Have you gotten rid of things in your life? Are you deloading, getting rid of things that would interfere with reaching your goals? Are you developing proper routines and habits? And what are you doing? Because we're all doing something with our lives. We're all spending time. What are you doing that is not giving you the results that you want? Maybe it's time just to, you know, reconsider, get involved in some things. And let's grow up spiritually. Amen. Let's spur one another on to good things. And let's do it. Father, I just thank you for, for, uh, I thank you for our church, Lord. Lord, let this be a church that does continue to grow spiritually, that does continue to to uh, help be a catalyst in bringing the gospel to the whole world, Lord.
Father, let missionaries continue to come through this church and be sent out into different places, different mission fields, Lord. Father, as individuals, each of us individually members of this this church, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us to continue to grow spiritually and put ourselves in places where we can grow and learn from you and trust you and be mature so that we can one day, like the Apostle Paul say, I know who am I have believed and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him. Lord, I thank you for it.